Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Bupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Sure, the last few years haven't been the most amazing. But if you want to feel better about our current circumstances, Google what happened in 2001. Lots of darkness <laughs> is the answer. For starters, that was my freshman year of high school, and my cursed eyebrow job alone should have been omen enough. I don't even need to mention the 9-11 was an inside job elephant in the room. Arguably, the only bright spot to come from that cursed year was given to us by a deadbeat dad in a turtleneck. That's right. Today, we are celebrating the evolution of the mostly defunct iPod, the Walkman of the 2000s. Emily, what, if any, iPods did you have? Oh, I had many because this was the one thing in my entire life I've ever lost or gotten stolen multiple times. Multiple times. Well, I mean, I could have lost it. It could have gotten stolen. I don't know. But Interchangeable. All this, interchangeable. But all of this to say, for some reason, I couldn't keep down an iPod for a long time. Uh, it was... <laughs> This one cursed thing that I just continually got stolen. Um, so I think I had I had a classic with the LCD screen. I had a mini at one point. I had a video iPod because it came with free with the MacBook. I mm. had a few other nanos, uh, or I had two nanos, I think. Um, but yeah, over the years, for whatever reason, this was the thing I got not just stolen, lost. One, I think I lost in the water one time. I was in a lake. What? Yeah, what? I was very bad. What? It was. And Wait, not... you brought the iPod into the lake with you? No, 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 no. I was like on a dock at okay. a lake. As you do. It, as you do. And it fell off. And uh-huh. idiot that I am. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, uh, this, yeah. Let's just say I, it was not great for me, but I had many. How about you? I really can't believe the volume of iPods you fucking went through. Like, that's almost impressive. Yeah, maybe like five. Oh, over the course of Whoa. 10 years, five. Yeah. Wow. It's bad. Not great. 
Well, when iPods first came on the scene, I they were too expensive. I could never afford one. So when my time finally came when they released the shuffle because they were a hundred bucks. And so I got a shuffle and I had that for a like for a couple of years. And then kind of similarly to you, but slightly more tragic, my car got stolen. Oh my and God. Then, but they found my car. Yeah, the time it was like right it was like maybe six months before I was going to move to Berkeley and I was like, I'm not going to take this car with me anyway, but I still, you know, I had to go to work and stuff for like another six months and then my car got stolen. Um, anyway, so my iPod shuffle was in there because I had the tragic tape deck to iPod plug-in and um, the iPod plug-in was like still in the tape deck when they did find my car, which was inoperable because the way that they ja- the way that they had to start the car, like it was an eighty-one Beamer, so any sort of damn it was delicate. We'll put it that way. Like that car had nothing but problems. <laughs> and so the way that they hotwired the car to get it to turn on, like they turned it on with like a fucking screwdriver or whatever, totally fucked it up. And I couldn't afford to fix it and move, so I just donated literally to cars for kids but when they recovered it my dirty ass tupperware was still in there but my ipod shuffle was definitely gone that's my long roundabout way of saying that and then i eventually bought like a used or refurbished like third or fourth generation ipod that i had for a really long time that crapped out on me when i finally got like the little bose speaker that you can plug it into i don't know what happened but like maybe it was just too old but plugging it into the bose speaker with my ipod it like broke the ipod it just like powered down and like never turned back on ever again oh my god yeah what happened i it was i they're just the lifespan of certain iPods. I had one that lasted forever. And that ironically was the hand-me-down from a friend who had just huh. gotten an iPhone. She's like, well, I don't really need this anymore. I'm like, thank you. I had that one for like four or five years, actually. That was the last iPod I ever had. Um, and yeah, I think that that's, that's really the irony there is the one I didn't pay for or a parent paid for as a gift for Christmas was uh, the one that ended up... <laughs> lasting longest sean still has this nano that he won at like a pete's all hands <laughs> like a company <laughs> meeting or whatever at like a raffle that up until you know i don't know he got wireless headphones that he really liked he was still using that nano to like work out and stuff and it's still going it's just not charged but those there are some of them like when i was looking back at some of the ads because obviously when you think about ipods you think about those silhouettes dancing to check it out or whatever yes (laughs) but when i went back to rewatch some of these ads like I was astonished by the amount of people in the comments being like, I still have my nano video works great. Like I use it on a plane all the time. And then like other people with their like, I collect classic iPods like and I also love this ad. It was just really interesting because, you know, I don't know, maybe we're just like electronically. um, I don't know, (laughs) disadvantaged and other people are better at maintaining the integrity of their appliances versus us. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, I'm, I think I still have that iPod, hand-me-down iPod somewhere. So I wonder if I plugged it in and charged it. It's my parents' house. I'm wondering, and I'm going there tomorrow. So I'm wondering if it would still work. Well, if you do it, then you have to like, you'll have, have to, to take, you either take photos or like live stream yourself doing that or whatever, but you got to make some content out of that if you end up doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, since we are going to start with the iTunes store, which precedes the actual 
invention of the iPod. Emily, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, sure. So imagine, if you will, a world of just chaotic um, media storage options. Like they're just, I feel like. (laughs) No, that's so true. It's just all over the place. I'm sure you saw in the research, like the myriad of odd fucking ways that people were transporting music digitally, like on flashcards. I I think the hard drive is the one that made me laugh the most. Like, could you imagine like lugging around an external hard drive? Especially like DJs. Yes. That's a big one. Mm Mm-hmm. That was, and that was very interesting to me. And I remembered it was just like a sea of files that you had. If you didn't have iTunes, you were just, I mean, you're, and you didn't know what was happening because half the time, if you were like me, you were downloading everything illegally. (laughs) So you didn't know what kind of viruses you were going to (laughs) get. What kind of surprise? Um, Cut to Apple in 2001, decided that they would create iTunes, which was a platform for media uh, for Mac computers. So back then it was strictly for Mac. Um, The original logo has a CD and headphones on it, uh, so very of its time. And then eventually it became what would be eventually a part of the, you know, landscape uh, ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. But essentially what I what Apple did was draw the blueprint for what would be the world of iPods. And it was kind of the first time you had a very UI friendly media manager that was very popular. And so you had the ability to sync your all sorts of content um, and eventually with your handheld devices, but you could do all sorts of things. And at the time, it was really just a a place where you could manage all your music. They bought the, um, it was based on a program uh, called SoundJam MP, which was developed by Bill Kincaid and then released later by Cassidy and Green in 1999. And they purchased, Apple purchased it at year later. And then they brought out everybody from that team at Cassidy and Green to help develop the um, this program at iTunes, as well as like just having them all join uh, Apple. And so they were kind of this 1.0 version. It came out January 9th, 2001 at Macworld San Francisco. And then people quickly figured out it was SoundJam MP, but eventually they kind of phased out everything that had that in there behind the scenes. So like if you looked under the software, it would say on the code sound jam MP. So anyway, they were able to clean and scrub that all up at the end in about four or five months later. But eventually all it did was support Mac OS X. Um, so they had 1.1 released in March in 2001 and then 2.0 added support for the new then iPod. But eventually iTunes really began to have kind of its own place to uh, it then featured a store which was in April of 2003 when they released version 4.0. And then eventually that same year, they would have support for Microsoft Windows and Windows XP. So now PCs could use it. And I believe that might've been the first time I used uh, iTunes some point in high school, I want to say, because we only had PCs in my house. Like we had, we had the family computer. I think we had two. We had my dad's and then one my sister and I shared, maybe. Don't remember. It's been a while. But essentially, you could have whatever files you wanted. This is one thing to note about the original iTunes. Like, this has all changed over the years, sure. Um, But like back then, you could bring in not just like iTunes songs, you could bring in uh, essentially all of your CDs. That was the thing. That was, that was probably the biggest thing for me was just like all of a sudden, I could take my entire library of music 
upload it onto iTunes and just have all my CDs in one place, even before I had an iPod, just having it in one place. I mean, for you, when was your first experience with iTunes? Very similar to you. I mean, when you were saying the most usable interface, I mean, do you remember like Windows Media Player? Like the... Oh my god! I mean, all things. All oh my god! I mean, the only cool thing was like the trippy light show sometimes. But that aside, it's like I mean, all all of Windows interface. Once you get used to like a Mac, which is very user friendly, you're like, how have I been functioning on a Windows UX this long? It's it is terrible. And I I remember downloading iTunes and being like, oh my god. Thank you. Like, I was so happy to, like you said, have all of my music in one place. I could import my illegally downloaded singles off of um, off of LimeWire. I could easily burn a CD. I remember how easy it was to burn a CD and being so excited by that because there yeah. was like a whole workaround when you had a PC yeah. to burn one. Yeah, you had to like upload and then download. It, it like yeah. everything else that Windows fucking does is like unnecessarily complicated. You're like, why? 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 Why the extra steps? Don't get it. So yes, I, f- I loved iTunes even before I had an iPod, just in terms of like being able to organize stuff and make playlists easily and burn CDs easily and eventually file share super easily. And then the way that it's it backs up onto your hard drives eventually, like I just, yeah, I, it, I remember it like changed having music on my computer forever. Yeah, I mean, completely. And it was interesting because it's just the idea of like once at that point, you know, buying um, a song off of the internet was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. It just changed. It completely changed the game. And some people, uh, you know, at that point, this was on the heels of all the lawsuits that had happened with Metallica and Napster and oh, various yeah. other things. And while we were now able to download music legally, um, what would then shift the market completely was that it became a singles market. Um, And not enough people, I mean, not enough people, a lot of people talk about this, I think, which is that we went from being a market where you would buy a CD uh, just because you liked one or two songs, one song even, that's all it took. You spend $12.99 at least. And and now, or like the now of what we're talking about, iTunes would give you like a single of the week for free. I mean, that's exactly. how I heard Heim. Like, how many yes. bands did you kind of discover Sarah through the Morales? F- yes, Iced. I mean, just like one after the Brandy Carlisle. Like, there are so many. They musicians. legitimately launched careers by yes. having your single featured. Yes. I mean, I know it sounds kind of silly now, but it's essentially iTunes paved the way for whatever Spotify and I mean Apple Music, obviously, but Spotify and whatever other streaming music service you can get, like you Amazon Music and whatever else. Half of a Starbucks playlist that they're going <laughs> to play today owes their career to being an iTunes free single at one point or another. Totally. That's really all I have. I mean, there's just iTunes continue to add things like home sharing, which was a big one when you lived in like a communal area or college dorm. Like I remember that we would, I would be able to like access my, uh, you know, neighbor's playlists or um, library because they were, were all in the same shared network. So it was like, really awesome to not to be able to like legally listen to other people's music and not have to spend a shit ton of money. Yeah, we would bring all of like I every set of roommates that I lived with in college, we all did like home sharing to listen to each other's stuff all of the time. And I, I went on to do it with like different coworkers and stuff too. So yeah, I, I love 
love iTunes. I think and I know that, it's, you know, whatever Apple Podcasts and iTunes or Apple Music are separate things, but there you can never replace iTunes. <laughs> you you really can't. And I will say like, yes, in 2019, they no longer they began no longer including iTunes with future Mac computers. Mm-hmm. Um and so they split iTunes into Apple Music, Apple TV, Apple Podcasts, what we have today. But for one shining moment, I mean, and that for that moment, I mean, like 15 years, you had everything under the sun in one place. And it was pretty radical to be able to download movies, songs, games, podcasts. I mean, the reason we call podcasts podcasts is because of iTunes. And you'll get into this, the iPod. Like, it is just the effect it has even today. It's like, you know, when they talk about like, People say like, please grab me a Kleenex and it's like a tissue from another brand. It's the same thing. Like the fact that we're calling it a podcast, it's an Apple entity. I mean, now we use it and people don't necessarily put it only on Apple Podcasts, but you know what I mean? Like it's just so synonymous with the world and what we do as we're literally speaking right now today. Fascinating. And I think it's equally fascinating to see, like you were saying in this brief shining moment that although spanned 15 years when iPods launched, I, I could never imagine anything being better than having an iPod. You know what I mean? And now oh, sure. we have all, obviously, we, I some get off the lawn. Now we have everything in our iPhones. But like, I mean, you could still, you could still obviously purchase an iPod touch if you really want to. But um, it is kind of interesting to see. I think it speaks to Apple's I don't know, ability to pivot, for a lack of a better word, um, the way that they've seamlessly kind of transitioned. And I wouldn't say they like pretend like iPod never happened, but it's definitely like, but now we do this. Now we call it Apple Music. Like, it's great that you have a fondness for iTunes, but we don't do that anymore. It's Apple Music now. I think they're very good about that. And that's why everything kind of like feels so seamless. But looking back and thinking about the iPod, there is a bit of like um, Vaseline on the lens, if you will, because mm-hmm. in reflecting and reading through some stuff about it, it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is a little bit further away than we think. Like, it's been 20 years. And I was like most things, surprised that there wasn't some sort of like definitive oral history about the iPod. So once again, we humbly say we are tech avail. Of course, always. So the Discman slash Walkman are technically the ancestor to the iPod. And for anybody under 30, uh, under, I don't know, 22 that doesn't know what that is, it's a portable CD player. Um, But the iPod's Before they launched in October of 2001, there were a few iterations before we even get to the iPod that were still kind of considered digital media players. So let's go back, back to the beginning, where it usually starts with a British scientist named Kane Kramer. He invented the first digital audio player, which he called the IXI in 1979. His prototype was capable of approximately one hour of audio playback, but never entered commercial production. His UK patent, and trust me, there's going to be a lot more patent talk coming your way. Mm. His, yeah, as, as you well know, uh, what makes tech so interesting are patent wars. <laughs> so his UK patent application wasn't filed, though, until 1981. And it was finally issued in the UK in 1985, and then finally later on in the US in 1987. However, in 1988, Kramer's failure to raise 60,000 pounds requested to renew the patent meant that it was going to enter public domain, but he still owns the design of the audio player. Apple would eventually hire him as a consultant, and in 2008, 
Apple openly acknowledged that Kramer is the inventor of the digital audio player. So he wasn't the only one, though. In 1996, the Listen Up player was released by Audio Highway, led by Nathan Schulhoff. I hope I said that okay. It could store up to an hour of music as well, but despite it getting an award at CES in 1997, only 25 copies were made. That same year, AT&T developed the Flashpack digital audio player, which initially used AT&T Perceptual Audio Coder for music compression. And in 1997, it switched to AAC. About the same time, the AT&T was also developing an internal web-based music streaming service that had the ability to download music to the Flashpack. AAC and such music downloading services later formed the foundation for the Apple iPod and iTunes. The first production volume portable digital audio player was the Audible Player. Yes, audible.com, that one that you are thinking of, that they created the first mass-produced digital audio player, Um, also known as the mobile player or digital words to go. Available for sale in January of 1998 for $200, it supported playback of digital audio in Audible's proprietary low bitrate format, which was developed for spoken word recording. So you could really only get, you know, audio books or, you know, self-help read books or whatever, not necessarily music. The capacity was limited to four megabytes of internal flash memory or about two hours of play using a custom rechargeable battery pack. The unit had no display or rudimentary controls. So you just sort of like hit play and let Jesus take the wheel. Okay, so the iPod. The iPod is categorized as not only a portable media player, but also a multi-purpose mobile device. More on that when we get to like the different makes and models of iPod. It was designed by Apple, and the first version was released October 23rd, 2001, over eight months after they launched iTunes. As of today, the iPod still in production is iPod Touch, which is basically like a predecessor to the iPhone. Apple improved upon existing portable audio players by making the iPod less clunky, giving it a better interface that wasn't unbelievably awful, quote unquote, and they decided to develop their own streaming music tech as the options were either flash memory, so think like literally like a memory card from your digital camera, or hard drive based, which as we had said earlier, imagine lugging around a fucking external hard drive with you everywhere you went when you wanted to listen to music on the go. (laughs) (laughs) Just like having that riding around shotgun next to you in your car. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Jobs assigned Apple's hardware engineer chief, John Rubenstein, on the job. Rubenstein in turn reached out to Tony Fidel, a former employee of General Magic and Philips, who had a business idea to invent a better MP3 player and build a music sales store component to it. I have a fact. So if oh, you're yes. for Tony Fidel, he is one of the most fascinating people. There's a documentary I love on General Magic that everyone should watch because it is essentially the prototype to the iPhone. It oh. was created in the 80s and early 90s. Like it's fascinating. They were just too early in the game, but they what? had everything like prototype wise. It looked so much like what the iPhone looks like today. What is the doc called, M, and where is it streaming? Sure. It's called General Magic. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere for free right now. I'll definitely look it up at one point. Uh, but it is absolutely fantastic. Um, just really, really interesting to learn about, like, how sometimes people come to the game, like, way too early on, like, by a decade, but have the idea. And Tony Fidel was a part of that. And uh, he was like their youngest employee, pretty much, or one of their youngest employees, and then obviously went on to huge success, the iPod. But that is where he got his start. Interesting. Well, maybe link like the trailer in the show notes or something. Yeah. So, I mean, even before his 
participation in general magic or in or maybe afterwards, Fidel previously developed the Philips Velo, which was a handheld personal PC. So think like a sidekick meets Texas Instruments. I mean, just look at a photo of it. That's the best that I can describe it. And the Nino PDA, another handheld PC, but it looks more like a Palm Pilot. Fidel had also started a company called Fuse Systems to build the MP3 player and had been turned down by Real Networks, Sony, and Philips. While Rubenstein was in Japan, he discovered that Toshiba had a hard disk drive and purchased the rights to it for Apple. He had also already worked out how the screen, battery, and other key elements would work in complements to this hard drive technology that he just purchased. Fidel was employed as an independent contractor, so I just had to leave that in there because shout out to my 1099 heads, where we at this tax season. (laughs) When he began to work on the iPod project, which was codenamed Project P-68, which I'm always fascinated by codenames for these like top secret projects. I give them props for making it kind of more cold than like something kind of corny, like Eagle has landed or whatever. Due to the engineers and resources at Apple being constricted with the iMac line, Fidel had hired engineers from his startup company, Fuse, and veteran engineers from General Magic and Philips to build the core iPod to build out the core iPod development team. Fidel partnered with a company called Portable Player to design the software for the new Apple Music Player, which became the iPod OS. Within eight months, Fidel's team and Portable Player had completed a prototype. The aesthetic was inspired by the 1958 Braun T3 transistor radio design by Dieter Rams, while the wheelbase user interface was prompted by Bang & Olufsen's Beocom 6000 telephone. The power supply was designed by Michael Dewey, and the display design engineer is Jonathan Ivey, all in-house. Apple then contracted Pixo, which is shockingly an arm of Nissan, to help design and implement the user interface, as well as Unicode for memory management and event processing. under the direct, This was all done under the direct supervision of Steve Jobs. Ever the dickhead, though, Jobs dropped a prototype into an aquarium in front of all of the engineers to demonstrate the bubbles leaving the housing is that it's internal space that needs to be saved. The iPod was proposed by Vinny Chaco. He was a freelance copywriter, shout out to my freelance copywriters, who, with others, were called by Apple to figure out how to introduce this new player to the public. After Chico saw a prototype, he thought of the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey and the phrase, open the pod doors, Hal. He saw an analogy to the relationship between the spaceship and the smaller independent pods in relationship between personal computer and music player. But Apple researched the trademark for iPod and found that it was already in use. Joseph N. Grasso of New Jersey had originally listed an iPod trademark with the U.S. Patent Office in July of 2000 for internet kiosks. The first Joseph N. Grasso iPod trademarked kiosks had been in use in New Jersey in March of 1998, and the commercial use began in January of 2000. But he apparently had his patent discontinued by 2001. The trademark was then registered in 2003, and Grasso assigned it to Apple by 2005. So that sounds like a really long and drawn-out litigation situation. The earliest recorded use in commerce of an iPod trademark, though, was in... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One by Chrysler's Corp in Sturgis, Michigan, styled iPod, which was a lowercase i, all uppercase P-O-D for office furniture. But once that last hurdle was cleared with Joseph Ann Grasso, the iPod was finally launched with five gigabytes of hard drive that put, quote, a thousand songs in your pocket, end quote, and went on to be called the 21st Century Walkman by Fortune. What an omen. <laughs> by 2017, with the prominence of streaming music service, Apple removed the iPod Nano and Shuffle from its stores, marking the end of Apple's producing standalone music players. Currently, the iPod Touch is the only iPod produced by Apple. Apple. And if you will recall, in the first ever ad for an iPod, there is a guy who we watch him put a bunch of music on his iTunes, then plug in his iPod, then put the music onto his iPod, then put the earbuds in his ear and continue playing the music. And then he drops it in his pocket. And as he walks out the door, we had the tagline that followed around for at least like a year or two that you could fit a thousand songs in your pocket. And I highly recommend going back and watching back some of these iPod commercials mm. because they are chef's kiss. They are just a dream. I mean, it's just like you forget how they were so prominent. The advertising mm -hmm. was just everywhere. The rainbow cornucopia of, you know, backgrounds while people dance to Jets, Are You Gonna Be My Girl? Uh, danced to <laughs> the Vines Ride Into Me. Like it was just everywhere. Um, absolutely enjoyed all the compilations on YouTube that people put together. So shout out to each and every one of you who did that. Thank you. Doing the Lord's work. Indeed. Um, let's just kind of get into quickly some of the original, uh, generations of iPods. Cause that's what they call them. What we call now iPod classic back then, just the iPod. As you may remember, it was very much just the original sleek white design. There was not really much to the colors. It was just kind of that Apple white. And the original one that came out that first gen was available in a five, uh, gig, uh, storage or 10 gigabyte storage and was released October 23rd, 2001, um, and was connected via FireWire. And I totally forgotten about FireWire until we did research for this episode. And so <laughs> back then, FireWire was like the biggest competitor to USBs. Like it was kind of like they had equal market share for a while. And that's how you would connect devices to your computer. And then over time, obviously, USB took over and FireWire is basically obsolete now. But for those first few generations of iPods, that's how they connected. So same with that. Um, and in the first model and the second generation also had a mechanical scroll wheel. So back then, you had this like mechanical scroll wheel and then your buttons were on like kind of like compass direction. So you had a north button for menu, a, you know, east and west to go back and forth. And then your play pause was your uh, bottom south button. And then you had a little circle to kind of okay things as you scrolled or use the scroll wheel to select. And the same pretty much for the second generation, just slightly improved. Um, and then uh, there was more, and then there was Windows compatibility, which you had never had in that second gen. Then the third gen comes out where we start to see a, a redesign with an all touch interface. Um, and then 
a four pin remote connector and a slimmer case. And then what was interesting here was you had a scrolling wheel. So you had what was the beginning prototype for what would eventually be the click wheel, the very famous click wheel, but it was just kind of scrolling and you'd hear that click, 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 no, um, sound. And then you had four buttons on top. You had the menu button, you had your back and forth buttons and your play pause button. So it was like four buttons up top. Then you had the scrolly wheel. Um, and then eventually they would move towards the click wheel, which was introduced in the iPod mini. So I'm going to go a little more into the iPod mini because that's really where I think the most interesting stuff comes up because it was such a big seller. So keep in mind the price point for an iPod at that point was significantly more money than a mini, what well, a mini and later a nano would be. So the mini gets released in February or, or January of 2004. It was a smaller version of the iPod and then was released a month later on February 20th. And a second gen version was released just a year later on February 23rd, 2005. While it was in production, the iPod mini was one of the most popular electronic products on the market. It was frequently sold out at most electronic retailers and people were unable to find it oftentimes. It was discontinued in September of 2005 after one year of being made and was replaced by the iPod Nano. And I feel like this is where begins the frustration of people have over buying something Apple made only for it to be obsolete uh, <laughs> within a year because they're like, oh, well, we needed to compete with what was out there. And it's like, no, because you're capitalist pigs. Um, <laughs> Points are being made right now. <laughs> <laughs> the iPod mini is the first instance of an iPod having that signature click wheel technology or what we think of when we think of an iPod. At that point, it had been what I mentioned earlier, which was using a touch sensitive scroll wheel, but uh, had those touch buttons above the wheel. So it had this redesign where the four buttons were incorporated into the wheel itself. So you could scroll uh, through and then you could just like press the kind of left side, right side, top side, bottom side to, to perform an action. Um, and eventually, and this was the standard on all classic iPods and later iPod nano up until iPods moved over to the video touch screens. Um, that original iPod, Nano had a monochrome LCD screen that displayed a menu or information about the selected track. Two iPod mini generations were almost identical from a visual perspective, but this was the first time you might remember how big of a deal this was because Apple always for a long time had for the last few years straight away from colors. Like they had had those laptops. You may remember um, the iMacs from the late nineties, two thousands that came in all different colors. Yeah, and then yeah. Eventually, they got away from that. They only made like white or black Mac MacBooks. They maybe made silver ones, but they they had strayed away from color for a really long time. And then all of a sudden, in 2005, 2004, you now had iPods available in different colors. And those original ones for the minis were silver, gold, pink, blue, and lime green. And then the gold drop model would eventually be dropped from that second gen of minis uh, since it wasn't very popular. But uh, I remember just like how big of a deal it was to have like different colors. You could kind of have your personality reflected <laughs> in mm -hmm. an iPod mini. And I forgot how long these things lasted. So back then people were complaining because it only lasted about eight hours. And I'm thinking like nowadays with our iPhones, you know, <laughs> we're lucky if it makes it a day if you're using it quite a bit. Um, but like similar to the third gen iPod, that was kind of the lifespan. It was eight hours. And then they eventually addressed this in that second gen model with the mini, which had a 
battery life of about 18 hours and then started at $199 when it had been $249 before. So I find out later that uh, the Nano had been essentially in development, started its development a month before they released the second gen mini. So I Apple already knew <laughs> they were going to be putting in a new music player about nine months later to compete so that people who had bought the new version of a mini a month later after they started this concept, like were essentially going to be obsolete. Um, that before. is, there was an onslaught in this time yeah. period where it, there was a mini, there was a nano, there was the classic and it, it came in new colors and they would always like, you could find different prices. Like if you went to Best Buy or if you went to Target yep. or whatever, and sometimes you could get somebody to price match you and you could get it, diff- whatever. I just feel like there was just so yeah. much iPod and they really, like you said, saturated their own market Everywhere. that they created. Everywhere. And let me tell you, if you're Francois Bejan, you only bought whatever was available at Costco because it was the best price. <laughs> so I did get one. I think it was my freshman year of college. And it was because, you know, it was available at Costco at a reasonable enough price. I mean, as reasonable as Apple gets, right? Um, before yeah, the price I, points were also very interesting, too, yes, you know? I, how, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what their market research looks like. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, for me, it was just very interesting to see how quickly people bought these. Yeah. Um, and how often, too, not just because if you're like me, you lost them or got no, like, stolen. So sort of like in a Beanie Baby-esque yes. way, people yes. would collect them or they wanted all of the colors or exactly. then they started doing this like limited edition shit with like U2 and all sorts of other collabs, but people wanted to catch them all. So yeah. Uh, and it's it's also kind of how people behaved at the beginning of iPhones. Like people would wait in lines and do all sorts of wild shit. Now I don't really know how excited people get <laughs> about an yeah. iPhone anymore. Like it's sort of like, yeah, fine, we'll get it. But yeah, I think it eventually happened to iPods. But there was a time there where people were fervently collecting these things in every will- shape and size. For sure. And I will say, like, it was really great that one scene in the dropout where she is in line for the new Mm -hmm. iPhone, (laughs) where it was like a reminder of what kind of mania happened around that time. Like, it was just unhurt. Like, it was a new dawn. Uh, Like, no one, the hype, the fanboys, what have you. Like, it was just a whole thing. Amazing. Okay, so the iPod Shuffle is my Joker origin story. It's the reason I'll take a perfectly crafted new album and say, fuck that shit and put it on Shuffle without ever listening to it straight through. So I am Adele's worst nightmare because of the iPod Shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) It was released in January of 2005, and it was a low-cost alternative to the iPod Classic starting at $99. It was small and light. It skipped the display by forcing users to give up their selection control over the music, only offering to skip to the next random song in your quote-unquote shuffle or to go back to the previous song. They banked on the fact that people would be familiar with the term shuffle because most would remember the five-plus disc CD players in your car or your home audio setup that would allow you to shuffle, quote-unquote, between them. The ad for this release stuck to the classic silhouette dancing with an iPod in their hand, but to the Caesars jerk it out. In 2007, they lowered the price to $79 for less storage, which was one gig of storage. There was still the two gig option for $99 and made the shuffle available in other colors and kept its stick-like shape. 
the last generations of the shuffle turned it into a square, and then they made them wearable via a little clip. It had controls on the wired earbuds like we have now, which was its biggest selling point, not having to tinker with any sort of interface. You can just kind of like do it straight from your uh, earbuds because the shuffle, the clip on shuffle became very popular for like runners or people who exercise outside a lot. Right. And yeah. There were a lot of people at the rock climbing gym around this time that had little clippy shuffles. So that is the shuffle. I mean, it was just sort of unremarkable, but I did look, I mean, not unremarkable. Like it was a fun little, it, what did we talk about? Remember those like little audio <laughs> Those little audio MP3s, like it was like a single and you had to have like a special MP3 player for it. Oh, hit clips. Hit clips. The iPod Shuffle was sort of like a hit clip in a lot of ways. Like it was like the the size of like a small pack of gum, but it was kind of perfect. But you had to constantly shuffle new music in there unless you really wanted to hear the same, you know, whatever, 68 songs. But it was like you could create your own playlist of the month and then blast that in your car or on your shuffle. And that was what it was good for. But I love the shuffle. It was a great little device. It had its time and place. But now we just have shuffle on streaming platforms. So I can still reign chaos with my music selection. (laughs) We still still trust the robots a little bit. And it's in their own ways. Their legacy lives on. (laughs) (laughs) The algorithm, or I should say, algorithm still has a place (laughs) in my music. Do you want to go into Nano and then we'll end on video, which was released the same year as Shuffle. Let's let's talk Nano. It was uh, released September 7th, 2005 as a replacement for the iPod mini, as I mentioned in my rant earlier. (laughs) Though it went through several... Capitalism. Though it went through several evolutions, the iPod Nano was on the market for 12 years. And as a reminder, the Nano was released in September of 2005 after Apple had released the second gen iPod mini in February of 2005. And it began development just nine more nine months before it was released. Steve Jobs made the announcement for the Nano on stage by demonstrating that people had used their main jean pocket for their iPods or iPod minis. No one knew what that smaller pocket in your front pocket is for. He then proceeded to pull out the iPod Nano out of that small pocket, showing its significantly thinner profile. He believed that this was Apple's way to get ahead of the competition out there at the time, since the market was still saturated back then and other competitors were coming out with more advanced sleeker players. The Nano, much like the Mini, was initially a huge success. It sold a million units in 17 days, helping Apple record a billion-dollar profit in 2005. Hmm. Yes, yes, it was. I and I'd forgotten just like how much hype this thing had, and and how small it was. Like it was wild to watch this video of Steve Jobs and remember, oh my God, like this was a really big deal. The fact that you like it was essentially weightless. Um, the Nano used flash memory to accomplish an even thinner casing and featured a color screen. The headphone jack was removed to the bottom of the device. The dock connector shifted off center and that four pin remote connector was removed among other things. The first gen Nanos only came in black and white like the iPod now classic players and had the same style glass screen as iPod classics at the time, resulting in a lot of scratches and cracks and was available in a two gig size, which held 500 songs for $199 and a four gig size, which held 1000 for $249. Eventually, there was a one gig model, which held 250 songs for $149. 
And in September of 2006, the second gen iPod Nanos were released in September of 2006. I get so confused going back and forth, by the way. It is just... Anyway, um, they reverted back to that same aluminum casing as the iPod minis and were available in multiple colors. So they had black, silver, pink, lime green, and blue. They even now had an eight gig version that which held up to 2000 songs. And eventually a product red version was made available in red, which my sister owned. Um, and battery life went up from 14 hours to 24 hours. The third gen model released in 2007 featured the square design versus rectangle. So it was like this, it, it looked really cute. I kind of remembered this one was kind of fun. It was like maybe the size of a credit card, maybe a little bit bigger, um, but it also displayed album artwork for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it kept that aluminum casing in the front so it could be different colors while incorporating the original stainless steel in the back and was the first one that allowed you to play videos and games from the iTunes store. And it was made available in pink, silver, blue, red, teal, and black. And then the nano iPod evolution would begin to slow down um, because 2007 was the year the iPhone was released. And to give you an idea of how quickly the percentage of Apple's sales generated by iPods decreased, here are a few numbers. <gasps> they are actual numbers, not Emily numbers. <laughs> In January of 2007, Apple reported record qu quarterly revenue of $7.1 billion which 48% of that was made from iPod sales. So that's January of 2007 when the iPhone gets released. Three months later in April of 2007, Apple reported second quarter revenue of 5.2 billion, of which 32% was made from iPod sales. Oof. And then in October 21st of 2008, so effectively a year and a half later, Apple reported that only 14.21% of their total revenue, Q4 of that fiscal year, came uh, from iPods. It went down tremendously. Yeah. That's I mean, tough. it was, that's just, a, it was a, that's a really fucking quick downturn, too. It was insane how quickly it went down. I mean, iPhone just took over and then. Oh my people, God. Yeah. Totally dominated. Not to mention, I think the market share of people owning MacBooks increased significantly around that time because I think they became maybe not necessarily more affordable, but I think more available. Um, mm -hmm. But back to the iPod Nanos, they would revert back in their fourth generation to that rectangular shape, but had significantly longer screen and were available in a variety of colors, black, silver, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, pink. This is the one where they had it like in a rainbow of colors. And... I remember around this time, 2006, 2005-ish, it wasn't necessarily an iPod commercial, but it was like an Apple plus Volkswagen commercial. And I know this because my rabbit, which is 15 years old, my Volkswagen, I should clarify, Volkswagen rabbit, not another rabbit. Um, <laughs> the Volkswagen rabbit that I have, which is 15 years old, had this special Apple technology that was like a little portal that you could stick your iPod into and it like automatically like fat, like worked. It, it's, it would sync with your um, car. Oh, sort of like how when cars, <laughs> have, when cars have Bluetooth, they can automatically sync to your phone and play music and your iPods and all that yes. stuff. But with so an iPod. With an iPod. And Interesting. it was that commercial. It was the polyphonic sprees light and day that like 28 cult member cultish band that would Flower wear. Mound, Texas, oh, baby. <laughs> So that came out around the same time. And I actually have that car to this day and I cannot use it. It is, it is my version of an eight track player, if you will, my friends. Mm -hmm. um, 
So back to our uh, iPod Nanos though, fifth gen had a video camera, but you couldn't actually just take a photo. All you could do was a take a video and I and Apple basically released this one super quickly to compete with like, remember when there were like flip video cameras in like the late yeah. 2000s, everybody was like getting them. They were all the rage. So this was like their way to compete in that market, which I don't think they really ever stood a chance. Plus it was such a short lived market, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then this was the first time you had a pedometer to track steps and workouts, which leads in nicely because they had an integration with Nike, so which leads in nicely into the six gen iPod, which is a very similar size to the iPod shuffle. And it goes to being just a little square and it's a video touchscreen, uh, with a built-in clip like the shuffle. And it had this integration with Nike. So people started using it as, you know, like much like the shuffle, people were using it for their workouts. Mm -hmm. And what was cool was because of that clip and the size of the screen, this was a prototype that people just hacked into their own version of an Apple Watch before there even was an Apple Watch on the market. So people would like third party retailers made bands that you were made to clip on your um iPod Nano, so you could use it like a smartwatch before we really had a ton of smartwatches on the market. And it was so popular to do that the smartwatch uh, that Samsung released in 2013, way before the Apple Watch was ever released, was considered inferior to the sixth gen iPod watch hack that people were doing. And really, the final one that they ever released will be in 2013, which is that seventh gen iPod. And that was the last version that they ever made of the iPod Nano until, you know, July 27th, 2017, when they removed iPod Nano and Shuffle from the stores, which marked the end of Apple producing the standalone music players apart from an iPod Touch. And that's really it. Well, I just want to quickly touch on iPod Video only because when you look back at videos of the iPod video, I am reminded anew of what a dumb idea it was because that screen was so <laughs> fucking small. So small. It is insane. The iPod photo introduced us to the color screen possibilities of the iPod, but sometimes we innovate too close to the sun and end up with the iPod video. Released in 2005, this was Apple's first move into the portable video industry. The large screen, which was not that large, was still like only a quarter of the iPod itself. It does make sense that you'd go from iPod photo into iPod video because iPod photo successfully made it easy for people to view the album art on the display screen. So, of course, you'd want to naturally watch music videos. They sold it in black and white. It was also thinner than the previous iPod generation. It was technically viewed as the fifth generation of the iPod Classic, and iPod Video could sync either 30 or 60 gigs of storage. And in the late 2006, an 80-gig version was made available. They would later add a video component to the Nano in 2007. And the worst ad of the iPod series was released in support of the iPod Video that featured a live performance of fucking U2. They went oh, really, God. really, uh. really, really all in with U2 there for a time. And that partnership yes. is such a head scratcher even all these years later. Like, I don't know who Bono is for. I mean, it's one of those things that just Apple held on to for so long. First with like the YouTube special edition, which you could like, yes. this is one of the interesting things about the iPod and its early iterations. You could pay extra for a version that had um, engraved on the back, the signatures of your favorite band. And they oh, had yeah. one for like, no doubt. They had one for U2. They had one for like a few bands. And what was interesting was that special edition had 
an exclusive video with 33 minutes of interviews and performance by you too, downloadable from the iTunes store. And then five, six years later, we'd all be cursed with that yep. one terrible. Never forget the Never day forget. we all woke up and had a the U2 re- album against our will in yeah. our Apple music. Like that was I mean, an, I, atro- an atrocity I, that this whole nation I, felt together. I think Don McLean was wrong. That to me is the day the music died. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, the way that we kind of like collectively all can agree on clowning on Chris Pratt is how we all felt that day that we woke up to a U2 album being unfortunate on our phones with no immediate way to remove it. No. And and I like say this as someone, I actually like pre-2000 U2. Like if we're listening sure. to 80s U2 albums, fantastic. Sure. Yeah. Masterpieces, what have you. Octung Baby, great early 90s album. Right. Anything, anything after 2000 is just been forced upon me by the Grammys and Apple. And I don't fucking like it. <laughs> I need to call your mom because I'm going to sue. <laughs> Oh yeah. Any other iPod thoughts before we sign off? I think we've said quite enough. Much like the early iPod battery life, I think I think we're done. Are we dwindling? We're dwindling. We're dwindling and we don't have a port nor can we find the cord to charge this. So with that, I say thank you so much for listening to this episode of Old Millennials. If you would like to support this podcast, you can join the Old Millennials Cinematic Universe on Patreon or don't and just leave us a five-star review because that also helps. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod and make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast wherever you are listening to it so that you can stay up to date on the latest episodes for this season. You can also follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.